We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers uh, with Congressman David Price. Before he began his service in Congress, uh, he was a professor of political science and public policy at Duke University. Of course, he's a uh, graduate of UNC Chapel Hill and uh, went on to get his Bachelor of Divinity and PhD in political science at Yale University. So you've been around in the academic circle, so to speak. At, uh, uh, and, and, and one day I want to do a whole segment uh, just based on your experience with education and, and your Well, I, I, it reminds me when I was, uh, you know, at, in graduate school about finally to finish all that, uh, I, you know, would go home and uh, people would, uh, I'd be with my parents and people would say to me, you know, how, how it is at home. But people say, well, you, you've been at school a long time. You're going to, uh, you're going to make a lot of money. And I, <laughs> sometimes I would say, I'd always think, uh, listen, if I was going to make money, I would have stopped a couple of degrees ago. <laughs> there comes a point, there comes a point where uh, that's not, that's not what it's about. <clears throat> Well, I, I, as I said in the last segment, I want to ask you to give your assessment of where the Biden administration is and how what they've done, what they've already accomplished in the first uh, 100 or so days, 100 plus days now of their term, and what is uh, being proposed and what is likely to come to fruition the rest of the year. So just uh, let's start with the assessment of what's, what's been done and how much progress do you think they have made? I think it's been a good, strong start. And uh, as we said in the prior segment, having uh, Democratic leadership, although it's very, very narrow, having that kind of leadership to get the cabinet approved and to get um, get the administration started, so to speak, has been has been a, uh, a positive thing. And then the, uh, of course, we 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 did uh, we did the recovery. I'm sorry, the relief bill almost $2 trillion in, in pandemic uh, relief. Uh, that was a mixed picture. Uh, there are some of the earlier pandemic relief had been done on a bipartisan basis. Uh, and that was, um, that was not possible, it turned out, in, in this bill. It uh, was passed on party line votes in both the House and the Senate, which is a longer story, but still it did pass. And uh, it passed with... Uh, with a very, very impressive unity, I would say, uh, on the Democratic side and great public support. That's one reason it passed was because the public support was just overwhelming. And so, you know, in um, when you compare that to the Recovery Act back under uh, Barack Obama, when we were coming out of the Great Recession, you know, that was less than a trillion dollars. This is um, this is about twice what that recovery bill was. And um, it um it, it would, would count, I think, as a major achievement, uh, even if nothing else happened. But, uh, of course, we hope other things are going to happen. And uh, we're, we're now dealing with uh, a couple of successive uh, proposals by the Biden administration, which uh, I think do, uh, do mark him as a, as a remarkably ambitious president. Kind of unlikely that Joe Biden gets cast in the Roosevelt role, but there's been a lot of commentary about the Times uh, demanding this. I uh, I agree with that. The major package we're considering right now focuses on infrastructure. It's called the Jobs Plan. I think it's um, 
it's probably uh, accurate to see it as partly an economic recovery measure, trying to even out and accelerate the recovery from the pandemic, and also then making a long overdue investment in our infrastructure, which I think we'd be dealing with even without the pandemic. We've talked about it so long, we've not done nearly enough about it. So I think this infrastructure investment, and I am talking not just roads and bridges, talking transit, aviation, broadband, housing, um, water and sewer infrastructure, and, and, and all of that, all of that is long overdue for investment. And then finally, the third piece is um, uh, aimed more at American families. It, it deals with uh, with our childcare needs. It, it deals with uh, the, the need for, uh, for for family and medical leave. It, it deals with uh, uh, making uh, the, the child tax credit permanent, uh, doing something about persistent child poverty and, uh, and, and pre-K, universal pre-K education, uh, broadening our concept of public education so that it, it includes grades 13 and 14. Uh, that measure is uh, is also, I think, best seen as a as an investment measure, uh, and uh, each of these is a, a challenge. But uh, the fact that we're considering something this ambitious at all, and that um, there is uh, the serious work underway to to make this happen, is just a sign of the times we're in. I think uh, you know we talked earlier about uh, people's view of government and people's uh, partisanship. I do think. Uh, one effect of the pandemic, well, the pandemic's had a couple of effects. Partly it has polarized us, there's no question. If people are making a political statement out of wearing or not wearing a mask, then you know you can't say that the pandemic has reduced the polarization. It, it's, 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 it, it, it has, our polarized politics uh, has determined more than it should have of our response. On the other hand, the long-term effect of this, what we've just been through, may be to convince people that uh, there is a need for a, a, a well-designed uh, government uh, set of programs uh, in government that, uh, that help equalize uh, opportunity of this society and, and help, uh, help us uh, invest in what we need to invest in. In other words, there's a less reflexively negative view of government. The most of the economists, uh, either both those who are known as sort of liberal economists and conservative uh, economists, were all in favor of the additional efforts to uh, stabilize the economy. At the same time, they also recognized that it was increasing the national debt and it's going to have to be paid off sometime. How concerned are you about the national debt and where do you think that's going? Well, I think uh, there... Um there, there is a concern here, and it has to do partly with how much debt we could carry and the kind of interest burden that places on the future. There's also a concern about inflation, as Larry Summers and some other economists have uh, articulated. The, uh, I, I've been in discussions this week. I'm also serving on the budget committee once again, and we've been, we've been talking about that question of how much, uh, how much deficit and debt we can safely carry. I think a couple of things are, are true. One is that um, we, we've, we have, um, we've carried more deficit and debt than we thought we previously, economists had led us to believe would be safe. And uh, we've done it without, uh, without a, a lot of inflation or without increases in interest rates. And so uh, the, uh, the, some of the economic um, modeling is, is being shifted uh, as we speak. On the other hand, um, there is a limit 
and uh, we're going to uh, we need to anticipate what that limit might be. And for that reason, for that reason, President Biden has said, yes, he would borrow money for the relief bill for pandemic relief. That's in the area of emergency relief. All of, what we got to do there is just get the get us through to the other side of this pandemic. However, when it comes to these longer term investments, he does want to uh, he does want to pay for them in whole or in part. Uh, it would not be safe just to borrow that money. And uh, therefore, he has proposed uh, tax increases to go along uh, with the with the spending increases, mostly having to do with uh, kind of splitting the difference on the uh, on the Trump tax cuts. The uh, I was going to ask you about the taxation, because obviously everybody's concerned about taxation. And uh, uh, obviously, if we're going to do more, it's got to be paid for some way or another. Where do you see most of the tax changes occurring? I believe uh, I believe something like what Biden has proposed makes a lot of sense, and and I do think it has political appeal as as well. Um, I'm not I'm not saying it'll be easy to do, but um, you know, no no corporation that I know of either expected or asked for a 21 percent uh, corporate rate, but that's what they got from the Trump administration, nonetheless. I mean, I think most people expected uh, the rate to end up in the mid-20s, and that's really what uh, Biden is saying it should come to. It would still be a, a substantial tax reduction from where, where we started out. And then there's a, a comparable, proposal, comparable proposal for the wealthiest uh, individuals. And then, importantly, there's a bunch of, looks, looks pretty, uh, pretty complicated, but they're important proposals to uh, disincentivize offshoring. And to uh, this is partly a matter of collecting revenue, but it's also a matter of keeping uh, jobs and production capacity at home. And, and that's also part of the package. I, I think it's pretty well designed, honestly. What about uh, uh, capital gain taxes? Is, do you see a change there? That's part of the uh, that's part of this latest uh, uh, package, which uh, involves individual taxation. Uh, the idea being that. Um, that capital gains that from the sale of um, assets, that that should not be taxed. Why should it be taxed at a lower rate than uh, the, the average guy's wages? Uh, it, it is a, it's a good question, I think, uh, both politically and, uh, and economically. The, uh, uh, that, but that's the, that's the idea, that there should not be a, a discrimination in favor of, um, of, of, capital gains that that the, the rate should be uh, and I th and I think the proposal I have to check this but I think the the uh, the normal taxation of capital gains wouldn't kick in except up the uh, at the upper levels the uh, uh, and of course the state taxes of course are always a concern to everyone right. because uh, you see any changes coming there uh, well state taxes um, you know they were they were made a big political issue uh, about ten years ago. Everybody remembers the term death tax, uh, I guess, and uh, <laughs> the way that was uh, the way that was uh, portrayed politically. Uh, uh, there was never, ever, uh, for a long time, there hasn't been a, a, tr a truly uh, confiscatory estate tax in this country. Although you wouldn't know it to hear the talk shows. So as far as I'm concerned, we could make an adjustment there, but that has not been. Uh, front and center with Biden, uh, and I, unless I missed it, I don't think he's proposing that. 
Well, you know, as we've talked about, the House is, uh, the Democrats have some margin there. The problem is always going to be in the Senate where just one vote changes everything. One vote changes everything. And it's close in the House, too, believe me. Uh, and, uh, and with the combination of retirements and population shifts and, and gerrymandering, you know, the, uh, there, there's a lot riding on how all this goes in terms of the House majority as well. Do you see more interest in working across the aisle than you did, uh, say, two years ago? Oh, I wish I could say yes. I mean, there are there are um, isolated instances, um, and, and actually some that are not so isolated. I would I would say I work on the Appropriations Committee, as we've often talked about on this show before. It's one of the more bipartisan places. If you give us a decent overall number to work with. Uh, my uh, Republican counterpart and I can work out a pretty pretty good transportation and housing bill for you in, uh, in, a, in a very short period of time. And uh, certainly the international work that I lead, the parliament-to-parliament uh, -parliament work with developing countries, that's, uh, that's totally nonpartisan. And on an individual level, I've, uh, I've teamed up with uh, uh, my colleague Greg Murphy in Eastern North Carolina to... Uh, to, to co-sponsor, we're, we're jointly sponsoring a bill to deal with a particular vexing student debt problem. Kids that caught up get caught up in special circumstances. You know, one one project at a time. You you can you can do a good bit on a bipartisan basis. But on the whole, on the whole, it has proved to be very very difficult to get uh, bipartisan buy-in to uh, to to the. Uh, to, to, to even to the relief bill, much less these larger recovery measures. There are good faith efforts underway right this minute to get a bipartisan uh, agreement going on infrastructure, at least on uh, physical transportation infrastructure. So I, I wish that effort well. I'm willing to be part of it. But uh, I think overall, still a pretty polarized situation. Well, you know, dialogue is, uh, dialogue is good. And as long as there's some dialogue, there's some hope for... Uh, continued cooperation between the parties. At least that's my view, and I hope that uh, uh, turns out. I know that's your view as well, uh, that it always works out better when everybody can get together and work out things together. We've got one more segment on Carolina Newsmakers, and we'll be back right after these messages. I spend a lot of time in the garage but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains, dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just want to say, he's lucky to have a brother like you. Lucky? Caring for my brother is far from easy. But he's a part of me, like my arms and legs, so I'll be his. No time for tired. Nothing can disable this love. He needs me, but I'm the lucky one, even though I need help now and then. 
If you're caring for a loved one, visit aarp.org caregiving for care guides and community. Support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back with our final segment of Carolina Newsmakers with Congressman David Price, who represents the 4th District of North Carolina in the, the current session of Congress. Uh, and uh, he has been, a, of course, a frequent guest in our program, and we've already talked about a number of issues and gotten his assessment on uh, the early uh, success of the Biden administration. And uh, we've talked a little bit about the American Jobs Plan and the American Families Plan, the two big uh, programs that uh, President Biden is uh, proposing. Um, we've talked a great deal about the uh, COVID-19, uh, COVID-19 crisis and how we sort of see an end to that as far as its major effects on us. So I'm going to turn now, Congressman Price, to what you see for the next 30 to 60 days. What's at the top of your agenda and things that you hope to see Congress uh, accomplish? There's a uh, there's a very ambitious agenda. And the, you say the next 30 days, I would, I would extend that a bit and say uh, the next uh, 60, 90 days, maybe, you know, before the... Uh, before the August, uh, the kind of traditional uh, period of, uh, of downtime in, in, in August, we got a lot that we need to get done. I, uh, I'm, I'm uh, as, as chairman of the Transportation and Housing Appropriations Subcommittee, I'm, I'm naturally focused on uh, one very important set of things that needs to happen, namely the uh, passage of the uh, 12 appropriations bills to fund the government in uh, fiscal uh, 2022. And I guarantee you that is gonna happen one way or another in, in this period of time. I don't know if it gets totally completed. We, uh, as usual, probably will have to wait on our Senate counterparts to, uh, to, to catch up, uh, but uh, we are well underway. I have had hearings in my subcommittee already with uh, Secretary Pete Buttigieg of Transportation, Secretary Marsha Fudge in Housing. We uh, are, uh, uh, dealing uh, for the first time in a number of years with uh, what we used to call earmarks, that is the ability of members to uh, designate uh, precisely in their districts where there's some funds are going to be spent. We do this without raising the, the deficit, but we do it by way of uh, restoring the power of the purse and the, and the uh, kind of localism of, uh, of our focus in, in certain kinds of uh, areas. That's a lot of work. Uh, the whole appropriations process is... Um, is uh, very uh, very intensive, but that uh, those bills have to pass, or else the whole thing shuts down. So uh, we have that going for us. Everybody knows that, and and so we we anticipate uh, a cooperative process, probably less partisan. Uh, going back to our previous discussion, uh, this appropriations process may well be less partisan than uh, than the other other aspects of the president's program that we've been uh, been talking about. So there's that. And then uh, secondly, I think the uh, focus will be on the, uh, the jobs bill and the families bill, especially the jobs bill that was next in line, the infrastructure bill. How, how big can we go? How broadly do we conceive of infrastructure? How much partisan cooperation can we get? All of those questions you're going to know the answer to within a few weeks. Uh, I know you have a great deal of interest in uh, foreign affairs and you've been active in that arena as well. Uh, we, uh, our whole foreign relations program changed a great deal under the past administration and the Trump administration. Are we back to a more traditional form and how are we uh, standing now with our 
neighbors abroad? Well, the president likes to say America is back. And uh, I'm not sure it's quite that simple, but that's certainly what he aspires to. And it's what he's working on. And I, and I think it's highly important that he succeed. Uh, we have immediately set out to uh, repair relationships with uh, NATO and with our European allies. We have, uh, uh, have uh, rejoined the, uh, the Paris uh, Climate Accords, the international agreement on, uh, on trying to control uh, greenhouse gases. We are working very, very hard to restore that critical Iran nuclear agreement to keep Iran from being becoming a nuclear power. That was one of the most destructive things Donald Trump did was simply to blow up uh, that agreement. Uh, in area after area, uh, what you see is um, energetic diplomatic outreach by, by this administration. I think uh, uh, the president's made very strong appointments in the foreign policy area. He's also sent some negative signals. Uh, there was a story in the national press this week about how uh, a certain number of autocrats uh, internationally, like uh, the ones uh, Trump uh, showed a preference for, they have yet to get that phone call, let alone a visit from, uh, from Joe Biden. And there's a, there's a message in that as, as well. But um, I, I do think as a champion of human rights, as a promoter of, uh, of uh, of open and transparent and uh, democratic uh, societies, you know, the U.S. is back. There'll there'll have to be some testing, I suppose. I mean, countries are going to wonder: Can we go back to the Trumpian ways? And uh, of course, there's no absolute guarantee of that. But uh, Joe Biden and his team are going to do their very best to uh, to to restore that uh, uh, role of world leadership that this country uh, enjoyed for for so many decades. You know, it's interesting how things come to the front burner and then they slip back to the back burner and then they're just off the stove altogether. A couple of years ago, or maybe a little bit longer than that, we were just so uh, concerned about North Korea and President uh, Trump went over and visited and so forth. Now you hear very little about it. Where do we stand with North Korea? Uh, still a very dangerous uh, situation but not one where uh, you're going to have any time uh, soon in, or where you're ever going to have, uh, I think, the assumption that this naive assumption that uh, personal uh, bromance can, can substitute for foreign policy. That was one of the strangest episodes in foreign policy I've ever seen. This notion that uh, these two leaders write uh, what Trump called love letters to each other and that that was somehow going to... Uh, to, to serve our interests. No, North Korea actually uh, increased its uh, capacity and uh, nuclear capacity and conventional capacity during this period of time. Uh, so it's a, it's a situation right now of, um, uh, of containing that threat, uh, deterring that threat. And um, I, I hope eventually enlisting China, I mean, this is one area where there is uh, down the road somewhere a mutual interest with China, despite our our negative ledger with China. There's some areas where we need to cooperate and uh, dealing with this rogue power, North Korea is, is one of them. But I, uh, I, think, I think Biden will, will work on that eventually, but he's not going to be uh, trying to, to cultivate this kind of personal diplomacy with, uh, where, where it's so clearly futile. I, I read an interesting article uh, about three months ago where the writer was projecting that uh, while uh, North Korea may be seemingly uh, 
concerned with the United States that their ultimate enemy and their biggest confrontation will be with China, not with us. Well, that's whatever you, I think that's a very insightful argument. Yes, I think that's right. Uh, the, uh, the Chinese don't have, um, the, the Chinese interest is, is not in having North Korea as a rogue power, uh, creating great peril all over the world. Uh, uh, unfortunately, the present Chinese regime has not dealt with that as forthrightly as it, as it might. Uh, I actually think under Biden and a, and a more conventional kind of American diplomacy, it might uh, be more likely that, uh, that China uh, acts on that uh, perception that you just uh, stated. Immigration has also been back in the news and uh, the, uh, what, what, what do you see there and what is your current assessment? There's no more troubled area of national policy than immigration, I think, and, and that is largely the result of the policies of the last four years. Well, it's a very difficult area of policy in general. You grant that, and the and the situation in Central America with uh, all the push factors there, the gang violence, the uh, deprivation, economic uh, distress, uh, it's just uh, it's just irresistible and. Uh, so, uh, and you know, we had begun to deal with that. There, there had been, actually Biden took on this role as vice president under Obama. We had begun to address the root causes of migration in Central America. And then Trump, uh, Trump rolled it back completely and, uh, and then adopted this, uh, this immigration policy that was problematic in, in so many ways from separating families at the border to totally cutting off the flow of refugees to uh, a Muslim ban and, and on and on and on. So um, there's no area where the repair work is, uh, is greater than, than in immigration. Uh, I think Joe Biden uh, made a misstep in, uh, in not moving immediately on the refugee issue or, or saying he was going to, and then backing off, he very quickly corrected that. Uh, we've, we've got to uh, once again, have a, a manageable flow of refugees and do our part with that. And there are a lot of people here in the triangle who uh, a lot of, of good organizations ready to, uh, to help facilitate uh, the resettlement of a certain number of people from the uh, world's most troubled places. Um, uh, midnight raids and deportations. Uh, one would assume that's now a thing of the past, um, but there's still vexing issues of border security and just how, how much of, a, of an immigrant population we can accommodate. Uh, so so we, we need comprehensive immigration reform. President uh, has said that. He, entered, he put a bill forward that his first day in office. In the meantime, the dreamers, the young people who came here as children, the, uh, the question of farm labor, working out uh, a, a reasonable system where farm workers can come and go, those uh, those things we may we may deal with those things separately or comprehensively, but one way or another we have to deal with. Well, you know we we're running out of time, but uh, we haven't even talked about uh, educational concerns. We haven't talked about healthcare concerns, and of course the American public always concerned about those. And uh, there's so many issues that, that I'd like to bring up. Um, so, uh, I, but I, I find myself with an awkward amount of time, not enough time to open another topic. Uh, uh, so uh, what are you going to be focusing on in the next week? Let's get down to one week. <laughs> oh, in the next week. All right. Well, that's, I have a, I have a hearing I've really put a lot of time in on because I think it's really important. We're having a, 
We're having a hearing next week on my subcommittee. We're not going to wait for the appropriations cycle to be over. We're going to immediately focus on uh, aircraft and airliner safety and the certification process, the, 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 re, the reflying of these MAX aircrafts that have been subject to these awful disasters, uh, the latest Pratt & Whitney engine mishaps. Uh, aircraft safety is a matter of huge concern, and uh, our subcommittee needs to understand what the FAA, the Federal Aviation Agency, has done, can do, must do, so that's my immediate focus is getting uh, up to speed on, on, on that issue. But uh, that's just the next week. <laughs> Thank you so much for being so candid with us and giving us the interesting insights and in all the things that are happening in Washington. Congressman David Price, who represents North Carolina's 4th District, frequent guest in our program, and we look forward to having you back on again sometime in the midsummer and bring us an update. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong. He will have another interesting guest for us next week. If you happen to be listening to one of the stations that carries the half-hour version of this program, I remind you that you can go to carolinanewsmakers.com and pick up not only the entire broadcast, if you choose, or the segments that you missed. That's carolinanewsmakers.com. So on behalf of Jason, our producer, and our entire staff here at WPTF, we hope that you and yours have a very good week. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.